Bears in the cotton market have taken control of that market, and corn bears are threatening to do the same thing in that market. Spreaders came back to the buy side of bean meal, and sellers were sidelined in wheat. Cattle traders are looking to the cash market for direction, while the string of higher closes in hogs came to a screeching halt. Live from the second to last first of the month left this year via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, we'll talk with Luke Beckman from Central Valley Ag and directly following the news, some perspective from Todd Bubba Horowitz, BubbaTrading.com. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now the host of AgriTalk, Chip Laurie. Yeah, we'll be able to get the explanation of why the Fed decided to leave interest rates unchanged from last <laughs> month following mm-hmm. the two-day Federal Open Market Committee meeting. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's what they did. I'll I'll bet Bubba's very impressed. I could ballpark his response. I could ballpark uh, it. I'll bet you can. <laughs> I'll bet you have. <laughs> Welcome to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. That is Davis, and we will mm-hmm. let Bubba give us his own response yes. to um, to what the Fed decision was, and and there are some subtle changes in the language uh, that are indicating and and have encouraged some a line of questioning in the uh, at at the press briefing mm-hmm. that kind of centers around okay so here we are what if you if you're not going to change interest rates at the December meeting when do you start to ease yeah so I haven't looked at the details of it that much, uh, but to hear those kinds of questions, you know, it, it makes it, it, I'm trying to figure it out. But, dude, everybody's also talking about affordability. Mm-hmm. Nobody's mm-hmm. talking about just the rate of inflation any longer. Yeah, It is about affordability. And, you know, we made that transition, what, a month or six weeks ago, Davis? And- well, yes. Uh, and indeed, a, a more true, I think, or more tangible view on the dollar's spending power. But it's also very convenient because there's no way to quantify it. There's no number yeah. for that, you right. know. Right. So let's talk affordability instead of inflation because there aren't scary numbers attached to it. That's that, I get that it. could be part of it, or no. you could just take the uh, the annualized inflation rates over the past three years and add them all together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then it starts to get pretty scary, and yeah. it, it and all of a sudden, uh, the affordability issue really starts to kick in. We'll talk to Bubba about it here in a little bit. Let's get yeah. started with news. What do you got? Well, Chip, after three consecutive lower closes to end October, December soft red winter wheat futures posted a mild upside recovery. Front month SRW futures posted an inside trading day with the low range opened at a high range close, and that should keep wheat futures locked in a sideways trading range although there is a short-term downtrend from the October 20 high. Support stands at the October 2nd low of 541 and one quarter. Disruptions of shipments of wheat from the Black Sea region and a slight reduction in the estimate of Russian wheat exports for the year ahead helped wheat prices trade higher today. December HRW 10 and three quarters higher, 640. December SRW 5 and a half cents higher, 561 and three quarter. December spring wheat closed at 7.09, down just one quarter of one cent, Chip. Yeah, the short-term trend in this wheat market in SRW is is clearly to the downside. And to reverse it, we're going to have to get a close back above 6 bucks. 
Well, corn futures shrugged off the influence of higher trade in wheat and the soy complex and traded lower for most of the session. December corn futures opened fractionally higher and pushed up to touch resistance at 480 before prices turned to the downside. The price decline accelerated on the drop through support at the October 25 low. Chip chart watchers are looking for a test of support at that September 18 close at 471 and a half. Ethanol production in the weekend at October 27 averaged 1.052 million barrels per day, up 12,000 barrels from the previous week. But even with a quicker production rate, ethanol stocks declined 386,000 barrels to 21.012 million. That's the lowest since December 2021. December corn futures today, three and three quarter cents lower, 475. March corn down three and one quarter, 489 and three quarters. May corn futures closed at 498 and one half down three and one quarter, Chip. I don't like the way the corn market traded today at all. Ooh. Uh, okay. 480, buyers were uninterested in December corn at 480. So that's a problem. Soy oil futures were slightly higher at mid-morning, but renewed long meal short oil spreading drove bean oil sharply lower while supporting modest gains in bean meal. Soybean futures sided with meal and favored the upside. January soybean futures posted an inside trading day with a mid-range open and a high-range close, and that keeps the contract locked solidly inside its own short-term trading range between 13 and 13.25. It remains way too wet in southern Brazil and too dry in Brazil's northern production areas, but some forecasters see chances the extremes may correct beginning this weekend. January beans were forward a half cents higher, 13.15. March beans up four cents, 13.28 and three quarters. May beans closed at 13.42 and a half, up three and three quarters. Man, the go nowhere light is lit <laughs> in that bean market right now. Yes, no question is. about it. Well, the cotton market is broken down technically after three consecutive lower closes. December cotton again posted a high range open and a low range close while posting the lowest settlement since July 10. December cotton, 178 points lower, 79.44. On your livestocks, D's live cattle, seven and one half cents higher, 183.62 and a half. November feeder futures up 87 and one half to 238.57 and one half. And December lean hogs, a buck 57 and one half lower at 70.15. The February contract off a buck 42 and a half to 73.45, Chip. Yeah, you know, we were talking about the impressive rally in the hog market. Uh, eight mm -hmm. consecutive higher closes as well. It was basically a $6 rally in eight days. Right. Yep. Uh, so it, it was a grinded out kind of rally. All right. Thank you, Davis. Let's bring in Todd Horwitz, BubbaTrading.com. How you doing, buddy? What's up, fellas? Affordability, 53% higher gasoline prices, 20% higher grocery prices. That's I don't call that affordability. $7,000 lower in income. Not a very good, Not a very good metric, if you ask me. No. No, yet GDP in, in the third quarter was good. Um, the, the, there's expectations of of economic growth in the fourth quarter. I don't know where it's coming from, Bubba. It's not. They're masking debt with the, G, the high GDP number. And let me tell you this. Next year's expectation for GDP is less than 1%. So, uh, again, they can hide from this all they want. They can give us all the BS lines they want. They can tell us how good jobs are. People are starving. People are homeless. Grain prices keep holding lower. Where they, they, they're not going to be planted. They're going to stay at these low prices. There's just so many things going on that are negative, yet the stock markets are up right now. You know, this is, I think this is more of a relief rally. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're going to raise. If they don't raise in December, they're going to for sure hike. They're, they're not, they can't go to easing. They're way above their stupid target. 
which is ridiculous yeah. anyways. You and I both yeah. know you cannot intervene a market and make the market do what you want it to do. Dude, and here's what's got me kind of freaked out now. When they do start to ease, how bad is the economy going to be at that point? Because they they waited way too long before they started raising rates. They're going to do the same thing before they start cutting them, right? Well, 100%. And they're going to borrow approximately $1.6 trillion in the next six months. <sighs> so that's what they're going to be creating in treasuries. This is, this is going to be a disaster. And they're playing my song. They should be playing Taps. <laughs> Bobby, you're the best, buddy. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. That's Todd Horwitz, BubbaTrading.com. Luke Beckman is up next. At United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. On your favorite radio station or your preferred digital device, AgriTalk is live every weekday. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. Glad you're with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Um, Wednesday. You know what? I'm going to throw this mm. reminder out there real quick, and I'll okay. probably talk about it again at the end of the show. We had a fantastic farmer forum this morning. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, conversation. I, you know, I, I was just along for the ride on it. And uh, uh, a conversation between Kelly Newenhouse, a uh, producer in northwest uh, Iowa, and Trent Luce. Uh, the, uh, you, you guys know Trent. He's, he's a, an advocate for agriculture all over the, the country, does a lot of speaking, does a lot of media, podcasts, TV. And uh, uh, they have two very different approaches and perspectives on the CO2 pipelines. And these guys just did a fantastic job of explaining their points of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did it with respect. They did it with thoughtfulness. They put on a clinic of rational discourse. Is yeah. What yeah. Um, it was it was cool to be a part of. So yes, agreed. Go to agritalk.com and listen to that. We also had a crop summary from Dr. Michael Cordonier, which was very good. And mm -hmm. he was talking about current conditions down in Brazil as well. So give that a listen. Uh, we might talk a little bit more about that at the end of the show. Okay, right now, let's get Luke Beckman in here. Luke is with Central Valley Ag over in Elgin, Nebraska. How you doing, Luke? It's good to talk with you again. Hey, Chip. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. We're in the late stages of harvest here, so things are going yeah. well. Okay. Give us an update uh, exactly how things are going, because here's the deal, Luke. Every time I talk to somebody, basically, basically west of I-35, the, the comment is, you know what? Uh, corn and beans... 
were probably a little better than what I expected them to be. Kelly Newenhouse there in northwest Iowa, he might be an exception, but he's talking about how, yep, things are better than expected. Did that Nebraska crop reflect the conditions that we saw July, August, September? I think the name uh, that you could give this crop is just variability in Nebraska this year. You know, last year was really a pretty tough situation uh, for the Western Corn Belt in general. Now I'm talking the harvest of 22. I would say things are better than a year ago. Uh, So that's an improvement, uh, but a lot of variability uh, across the state of Nebraska. We get into Northwest Iowa as well, and variability is a great word to describe uh, that crop, although uh, our folks would say maybe a little bit better than a year ago in Northwest Iowa as well. But uh, really, uh, if you look south of the Platte River, if, if you pull up the drought monitor, if you can take a look at that, uh, there's an area right south of the Platte River, which the Platte kind of runs through central Nebraska, uh, southern third-ish. And if you get south of the Platte River, they really had a, a rough growing season, missed a lot of the precipitation. Uh, that's highly productive irrigated country. Uh, you know, but a lot of dryland corners and different things like that in that part of the world too. Uh, but they probably just got done with harvesting their worst crop that they've had in a long time. Uh, so uh, really tough uh, in that particular area. As you go north of the Platte River and get towards the South Dakota border, uh, crops seem to improve. Uh, and I'm speaking broadly, of course, there's, you know, uh, pockets of issues here and there. But uh, in general, the Nebraska irrigated corn has been has been quite good. Dry land's uh, variable. Uh, overall, Nebraska's corn crop is better than a year ago. USDA, you know, 165 last year. They were 174 uh, in their yeah. October estimate. Would imagine that's steady to a little bit weaker on November 9th when we get the update here next week. Uh, do feel like their bee number is overstated today. Uh, soybeans were probably, uh, the irrigated soybeans were not like the irrigated corn. Irrigated corn, I think guys are pretty happy with. Irrigated beans were pretty average. Uh, and dry land, uh, maybe surprised a little bit, but overall they've got Nebraska at 54 bushels an acre chip. That's too high. Uh, yeah. I would expect that number to come down November 9th. Uh, we'll see private estimates start to come out. I believe Stone is out this afternoon with their uh, updates. So uh, they're usually uh, pretty good at at providing a number that's fairly accurate. Yep. Yep. It seems like uh, south of the Platte and north of the Platte switch places from last year to this year on, on yields. Does that seem fair? Yeah, to some degree, uh, you, you get into the Northern Northeast portion of Nebraska a year ago, really tough. Um, they were better this year. There was a kind of a triangle over there that was problematic for some producers. Um, but yeah, South of the Platte, pretty tough this year. Um, uh, a year, I think they want to put behind them. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. They got to get a whole lot. They being USDA has to get closer to that 165 that they had a year ago than to the 174 that they've got in the October report, don't they? Yeah. I, you know, one, I think we're going to get pretty close to 170 uh, in November, maybe a 171. uh, And, you know, by the time January rolls around, maybe below 170, but uh, the beans are really the one I'm looking at at 54. You know, that's probably, at risk of, you know, 51 seems a lot more accurate uh, as you look at 
just the type of bean crop that we had uh, yeah. in in the West of this year. Yep. That's disappointing. Doggone it. You know me. I love Nebraska beans. I mean, it just, it, uh, the, it, the ability to build that yield in those irrigated fields is something that has, I, I, has been very impressive. And part of the reason for that is because you're not only managing the water, you're managing the stress and those doggone ornery beans like the right amount of stress at the right time. And guys have figured out how to, how and when to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But it was just the, the, the recovery time on the irrigated beans this year took too long. And plus, it, Luke, it was like 105 degrees with a feels like of like 124 uh, in the third week of August out there. That's got to be hard on those crops. So, yeah, really. Too- uh, Two, two different stretches of extreme heat, uh, you know, had an impact as we were in the grain fill, you know, stages for these crops. So yeah. uh, had an impact for sure. But, you know, again, some guys pleasantly surprised with what's out there, maybe better than they feared, better than a year ago for sure. Okay. So what are the guys doing with this corn and soybean crop? Are they are they storing? Have they got it priced? What What are guys doing? Soybean marketing has been fairly routine, I would say. Uh, generally, that is a cash crop. Uh, what I mean by that, it used to generate cash flow in the fall for producers here in our footprint anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been fairly routine. I think there's a few soybeans that found their way into on-farm storage that maybe would be atypical. And a couple reasons for that. One, yields were you know low again, so producers had the available space. Number two, we've got crush expansion that's happening in the Western Corn Belt uh, as we speak. And so there, you know, there's anticipated to be a couple of plants uh, coming online here in the next 12 months. And I think some producers just thought, hey, let's take a chance. I think there's going to be something exciting happening, you know, Q3, Q4 uh, of this marketing year. Uh, So let's put a few beans in, in the bin. So you had a little bit of that behavior uh, taking place, but fairly routine on the soybeans. I think they've they've made a lot of sales um, on the soybean side, and they're going to hold on to uh, this corn crop, tuck it away in space, and uh, just wait, wait for better days, uh, wait till they uh, need to generate some cash. Uh, one of those two things will dictate when that crop yeah. gets marketed. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I had an opportunity last month to uh, do something cool, Luke, and the uh, got to visit the AGP terminal out at Gray's Harbor mm. in Aberdeen, Washington. And they're they're going to be doubling ups on, on their port capacity there. And that crush capacity that you're talking about, how it's expanding. I mean, you're in the pull area for sure on meal. Mm. Uh, on beans that are going to be processed into meal and then shipped out to the PNW, right? Big time. Yeah. You yeah. Know, there's an a- AGP plant going in David City, Nebraska, you know, so Grace Harbor obviously going to be a, a big part of why they're able to put that there. Um, you know, we've got another private uh, crush plant coming into Norfolk, Nebraska. So it's going to be, you know, and then South Dakota's, you know, they've yeah. got several going in. You've got expansion in the Sioux City market. Um you know, in Western Iowa, there's, there's plants going in. So Dude. it's really going to change 
how the soybean cash markets work in the West. And, you know, last winter producers very excited about that, just thinking that uh, we're going to run out of beans. But yeah. I think this year's a good indication with the export market as it is. Yeah. Very happy that Crush Expansion is coming to the West yes. because we're going to need it. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You know, I want to talk a little bit more about that when we come back uh, because it's pulling a lot from CVA's uh, territory, no question. We're talking with Luke Beckman, Central Valley Ag, here on Agritalk. At United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. Let's go to the markets page at profarmer.com and check today's closes where December hard red winter wheat futures were 10 and 3 quarters higher at 640. December SRW wheat 5 and 1 half cents higher today, 561 and 3 quarters. December corn futures were three and three quarter cents lower, 475. March corn down three and one quarter to 489 and three quarters. January soybean futures four and one half cents higher today, 1315. March beans up four cents, 1328 and three quarters. December cotton was 178 points lower, 7944. On your livestock's December fat cattle futures were seven and one half cents higher at 183.62 and a half. November feeders gained 87 and one half cents to 238.57 and one half. And December lean hog futures $1.57 and one half lower at 70.15. Get more at tryprofarmer.com. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. When news breaks, the newsmakers talk about it on AgriTalk with Chip Flory. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. Glad you're with us. We're in the middle of a conversation with today's guest analyst, Luke Beckman from Central Valley Ag in Elgin, Nebraska. Uh, we were talking about the expansion of the crush capacity in your area um, and and the way that 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 those beans are going to move are we to the point luke that there is enough added capacity already up and running that it's making bean supplies feel a little tighter what's basis telling you well the first part of that question i would say no we haven't we haven't added that capacity yet it's it's coming uh, specifically in the nebraska footprint and i would suppose in general in the West, uh, we've, uh, you know, there's a big plant online in North Dakota this year that's new, uh, which is good <laughs> with, with, uh, a PNW program on soybeans. That's, that's struggling to say the least. Um, so no, I would, I wouldn't say that we're feeling it yet. Uh, I, you know, basis is firm in the West. And so you've got this, this, uh, difference between the Eastern corn belt and the Western Corn Belt, mm -hmm. you know, the Eastern Corn Belt drives uh, board spreads, which are a big mm -hmm. part of the cash markets. And uh, you have a short crop in, I would 
generalized Nebraska, Kansas, maybe parts of Missouri. And so, you know, there's space that's trying to be filled in the West, both with beans, with corn, you know, we're just trying to fill space because you've got generous carries uh, enough to cover your interest costs. So if you're a warehouseman uh, or a producer who's a hedger, you want space full because there's a return to that space. And so basis is doing the work uh, to make sure that the space gets full because you do have good carry spreads. Um, So you're going to see some interesting polls this year with how grain moves again. Uh, We don't have a robust program out of the U.S. Gulf. We don't have a robust program off of the West Coast, uh, the Pacific Northwest. And so you're going to see grain in the Dakotas that's going to want to move south. You're going to see grain, you know, in central Illinois and Iowa that wants to move west. Um, And those are really very similar polls to what we had last year. If you rewind, you know, 12 months, we had these odd moves uh, that were happening. Mississippi River was dry, you know, and we were pulling grain from east to west. A year ago, it looks like we're going to be doing the same thing this year uh, because a lot of this demand for our grain is, you know, just domestic like it always is, but uh, more so this year, just with a lack of, you know, robust export programs. Okay. Interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I, you're saying some things that I haven't really thought too much about Luke and, and on the grain flow and everything. And I think, yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. Really does. Really does. What do you, what do you see and from these markets, corn and soybeans, over the month ahead? Let's just talk about November. Yeah, I think when you look at the the futures markets, you know, soybeans, the carryout's tighter just in general. I think the marketplace feels better about the potential in that market. You know, the the spreads are kind of telling you, though, that that's not a bull market. You know, you've got big carries coming into the Nov Jan as we hit first notice day, you know, those spreads widening out. Uh, you'd expect that the Jan March is going to do the same thing as, as March moves to kind of the front month. And so th- those carries are telling you that there's adequate supply relative to demand. You know, the carry out that the USDA has printed today probably gets larger if we cut that export uh, demand number, which, you know, the trade seems uh, to feel that way today. Yeah. But I think with the right headlines, the soybean market is one that can snap pretty quickly. Um, feel better about beans than corn. I think if you run into some headline risk in South America, uh, if we trim this yield November 9th, um, if you can get some outside market you know, excitement, um, beans feel like they can add a dollar pretty quickly. And seasonally, beans do perform well coming out of harvest as we get into that Thanksgiving and Christmas holiday season. So um, I think the probabilities would tell you that that's uh, in in the cards today. And uh, I think that's something producers need to look hard at rewarding uh, because the cost of carry is high. Okay. It's it's yep. expensive to keep soybeans in space, you know, as bushels rather than dollars in the bank. So if we get those rallies, I think producers need to look hard at making those sales um, really for both commodities here in the next 60 days. Okay. That's uh, – yeah really cool uh, uh the uh the idea of putting a dollar on this bean market right now what do you think and and typically we do see the strength and and typically it does involve some kind of concern over the south american crop is that where the the igniter on a dollar rally would be 
I think you're going to, it's going to have to be part of the equation. Yes. Uh, you know, we've been reading and, um, you mentioned Dr. Cordonio was on, you know, earlier, uh, there's been some dry weather in the Northern portions of Brazil and it's pretty early yet, you know, to really be concerned about that. But I think if you can extend, uh, that weather pattern, you know, into the next, uh, 30 to 60 days, get that into December. I think the market could get a little excited about that. Uh, again, we're not seeing it in the cash markets today. So, you know, the, the smart money is not concerned about any kind of a supply issue. You're not seeing it in global trading values. Uh, you know, PNW versus, you know, South American origins, they're, they're cheaper by a mile. So, uh, not seeing it yet, but I think that's something that would be needed to get it started and uh, beans can move quickly if they want to. Okay. Is corn close to competitive on the global market? Not, not particularly. Um, it depends on which, you know, month that we're looking at you can pull up some numbers here just to, to give us an idea. But um, in general, the U S has really struggled um you know, just in both corn and soybeans to have a competitive number versus uh, South America and Ukraine, you know, the Black Sea, they're a little bit tougher to get your yeah. arms around with the grain corridor that's going on. You kind of learn about the values after the fact by piecing everything together. Um, but just looking at like South America here for December, uh, for corn going to maybe Southeast Asia, you know, the US PNW is out maybe 16 cents uh, versus South American origins. Uh, as you go further out the curve, you know, it, it just gets uh, a little bit worse. You know, you get into Jan, Feb, uh, and on out to March, uh, those values, those spreads get a little bit wider. So uh, the U.S. is missing some business. Uh, we're just too expensive relative to other origins. Okay. Let's take your thought process further down the curve and think about 24 crop marketings. What's the conversation with guys sound like around 24 crop? That's really, a, you know, something I think we're passionate about is, uh, you know, I'm not an old guy <laughs> yet, Chip, but, you know, I did, <laughs> I started in the business in 2011, which was kind of a fun time to start right in the middle of, you know, a fun time, fun returns for producers. But, you know, but I remember 2013, 2014, you know, coming off the 2012 high and we really entered a, you know, a six year period of pretty tough returns for producers. And the thing that worked really well in those low price years as carryouts were large and we were adding to them every year is you really had to be a forward thinker. Uh, producers, I think we're in that mode. You know, if we're going to have a 2 billion plus bushel carryout on corn, you know, we're going to add to it next year in 24. And so producers really need to be thinking about 24 today. I don't have a silver bullet that's going to help a producer market unsold bushels right now for the crop they just harvested. You're in a big carry market. You know, you have to sell the carry. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of other magic uh, things that are going to work well in this environment, right. but you can avoid putting yourself in this situation by thinking about 2024, that crop uh, right now, you know, can $5 corn work on your farm for next year? You know, if you've purchased some of those inputs for 2024, put that crop budget together. And if $5 corn can work, you know, we're really encouraging guys, you need to take some of that risk off the table. I mean, don't go into harvest next year uh, with a vast majority of your crop unmarketed. So uh, don't have great answers or silver bullets maybe for unsold grain in the current environment. But I think you can avoid this problem by, you know, starting to look at 24 and being proactive with some forward sales. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of the 
themes that we've always got when we start talking about those 24 or next crop year sales is have your marketing plan in place and have your price targets in place. Be there before the market gets there. Mm -hmm. Do you like that concept? Be there before the market gets there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you, you have to know your numbers, you know, and producers will say, well, I don't know what X is going to cost. I don't know what Y is going to cost. You know, you're going to have a pretty good idea though. You know, yeah. fertilizers, a, a one that, you know, fluctuates quite a bit, but a lot of the other categories, I mean, you're going to have a pretty good idea what it's going to cost. So um, if not put some guesstimates in there and at least give you a rough number to work from 2023's crop was probably the most expensive crop that a producer's ever planted in his, in his or her farming career. Um, it's going to be cheaper. 2024 is going to be cheaper than 2023 in terms of, you know, what it costs to put the crop in the ground. So, uh, around these parts, uh, you know, 550 was a number that we were hearing for a long time that producers needed out of this crop. That was this past summer, you know, when we were working off of, you know, just yield estimates at that point. Um, so next year we know it's going to be less than that five and a quarter, $5, uh, maybe less depending on the situation. So, uh, the market's given you an opportunity, I think, to be proactive and and uh, reduce some risk. Uh, and the other thing we've talked with producers about is you've you've come out of three really good years of returns. Balance sheets look better. Working capital is in a great position. Even if we go forward, you know, this year and the next couple, and there's some smaller return or break-even type years, you're still maintaining a good working capital situation. Yeah for your farm. So yes, don't, don't give it away. Even if you Protect just Protect that financial sheet. Yeah. E even if you don't improve it, just hold on to it and don't give it back to the marketplace. Sometimes playing defense wins the long game. And I hear you saying that, man. The good points. Good stuff, Luke. Uh, love having you on. Thank you so much for making time. Good talking to you guys. Thank you very much. All right. That is Luke Beckman, Central Valley Ag. Davis and I will be right back. At United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. I don't know what you're thinking. So call us at 855-4-TALK-AG and tell us what's on your mind. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. Glad that you're with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Leading the field is entering its second season, and uh, Brett Griffin is the host of Leading the Field. Uh, it is a custom series presented by Nutrient Ag Solutions, and it features the diversity of our food supply here in the U.S. Brett joins us right now. Man, it's good to talk with you again. How are you, Brett? I'm doing great. I'm actually in Indianapolis, Indiana this week up here for the FFA convention. And like you said, man, we're kicking off uh, leading the field today, which is pretty cool to kick it off on the same day the convention starts. Yeah. How is the blue, the great blue wave treating you? It's been great, man. I, I enjoy Indianapolis and it's so awesome to see so many, you know, high school students here that love and support and have agriculture as part of their life. 
Yeah, yeah, very, very cool. Okay, leading the field. Tell us about it. What what gets you excited about doing it? Well, you know what it is. I mean, it, it's about, you know, the seed-to-shelf experience that I don't think all the consumers out there realize what it takes to get actual, you know, groceries in our grocery stores, you know, that they don't just automatically appear. And, and for us, you know, we're out here highlighting and championing the farmer, the grower, the crop consultant, you know, what Nutrient Ag Solutions, what their role is in this whole process. And, uh, you know, for us to get to visit everything from, you know, apple orchards up in Washington or onion farms out in New York State, uh, it, it's, it's highlighting what it takes, you know, to get the, the product from their farm, you know, to our grocery store. And, and like I told my family years ago, like when you meet a farmer, you meet a grower, you're not meeting somebody that, that has a job or has a career. That is literally their life. They wake up thinking about farming. And they go to bed at night praying that, that tomorrow is going to be a good day for them. So I think that's the beauty of what we're doing with this series, just highlighting all those hardworking farmers out there. You got the whole palette covered in, in season <laughs> two. Uh, from sweet to sour, apples, sugarcane, onions, cherries, sweet corn, and chilies. Here's the craziest part about it for me was this year <laughs> we went to two deserts. We were in a desert in the middle of Hatch Valley new mexico and man they're growing onions and they're growing pecans and they're growing you know hatch chilies and then we're at a desert out in washington state and i didn't even realize the eastern side of washington state is a desert and man there's some of the prettiest you know cherry orchards you've ever seen and apple orchards so that was probably the most uh eye-opening thing for me is that they're taking a desert and, and they're able to make it be a part of agriculture and grow products that we all love to eat yeah very cool Tell us about those Washington apples a little bit. Season season two, episode one is about those Washington apples. Tell us about it. Well, a couple of important things are in this episode. Number one, we talk about the word organic and what it actually means to the farm, to the farmer, and what it means to the supply chain to make that farm be organic. So definitely look for that in episode one. The second thing is the brothers there on the farm, they brought up an awesome point, which was, we buy with our eyes when we're at the grocery store. We're looking for that perfect red apple. But when you actually see an apple with some yellows in it, that means the sugar is higher in those apples. And you want to look for those when you're out there buying. So as a consumer, and even the farmers that are out there that aren't, you know, apple farmers, like I, I, there's a lot in this episode where you can just leave after watching this episode a lot smarter about buying with your eyes versus buying with your palate. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, let, let's make sure that people know. I got a couple other things about the episodes that, that I want to ask you about. But what's the easiest way for people to check out Leading the Field? So follow Nutrient Ag Solutions on any of their social media channels or just go to their website, their YouTube channel, Nutrient Ag Solutions YouTube channel. It's going to have all the episodes up. We're only launching apples right now for you for season two. Obviously, season one's still out there for you to watch. Uh, and, and we're going to launch a new one every month. So for the next six to seven months, come back and check out what our next crop is that we're featuring. Okay. All right. That Florida sweet corn episode, did it have? Did, did you guys get a chance to talk about the wild hogs and, and how much of a problem they can be in the sweet corn? We did. We did get to talk about that. But I'll tell you one thing I learned. And, man, I grew up in South Carolina. I was a watermelon farmer when I was in high school. You know, grew up around hayfields. 
I did not know that we could just shuck corn and stand there in the middle of the field and eat it. And that's exactly <laughs> what we did. And it was the best dang sweet corn I've ever had. So I'm never going to boil corn again and i'm never going to put another stick of butter on it like it's sweet corn straight out of the shuck is exactly how you want to eat it i love it i love it tell me you did that pulling an onion too i did i tell you what man my <laughs> eyes were water when we pulled into the onion shed there were onions laying in the ditch where they'd fallen off the trucks man i i did not i'd never been to an onion farm never been to elba new york and we roll up and i literally am smelling onion and my eyes start watering, and we're not even in the warehouse yet. I, I think that guy said he was uh, putting out 11 million pounds of onions a year. Just an absolute <laughs> amazing operation. They did let me drive the tow motor for it, so I was, I was glad about that. I got my hands a little dirty in there. But, uh, no, man, a lot of really cool stories are going to come out of this year for sure. Oh, that's outstanding. Real quick, tell me about those cherries out in Washington. Are those the tart or the sweets? Man, so, so sweet. And they've got a little barometer they use to measure how sweet they are. Here's the rule of a cherry. And I'd never heard this until I got to Washington State. It should take at least two bites to eat a cherry or it's not a real cherry. So when you see those really small <laughs> cherries that are out there, those aren't real cherries. And I grew up, like I said, in South Carolina. I didn't know the difference. Now when I go to the farmer's market, I'm looking for those big, sweet Washington cherries because they're the best ones going. Okay, I got time for one more. What'd you learn about picking a chili? Well, i tell you what I did learn. I learned that if you're going to pick one off the vine and take a bite out of it, it is very important that you ask the farmer, are we in the mild farm, the medium farm, the hot farm, or the very hot farm? I literally bit into this pepper, and I said a cuss word on camera because it lit me up. It went down my esophagus lighting me up. So from now on, if anybody out there ever wants to just get a wild hair up their butt and go grab a chili and bite it, ask how hot it is before you do that. Trust me. <laughs> Brett, I cannot wait to go on these experiences with you. Thanks for sharing, and thanks for season two of Leading the Field. Get back and have some fun with those FFAers. We will. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for all y'all do. You bet. That is Brett Griffin. He is the host of leading the field davis yeah it's quite a series and brett does a really really nice job of mm -hmm. telling the stories of these different producers out there i'm looking forward to it thank you so much for listening today tomorrow morning we got paul Nefer with an update on phase two of the erp tomorrow afternoon ed Usit from the university of minnesota